0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 248. One day, I shall come back. That's it. i have been renewed.
1: As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord I'm
0: not a human being I walk in eternity Brave hearty
1: Change my dear And it seems On
0: a moment too soon Unlimited vice pudding person. Wearing a bit thin Fantastic
1: I am Scottish
2: I can complain about things Ta-da. Ooh. Should be fine
0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor's story, The Bells of St. John. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. Uh, Folks, stick around to the end. We're going to have some of your listener feedback on previous episodes of The Secrets of Doctor Who, so you'll want to stick around for that. We also want to encourage you to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and write a review of The Secrets of Doctor Who. Give us a nice five-star review. That helps us a lot. And if you share the podcast with your friends, let them know it's here and uh, help us grow our community. And finally, I want to recommend another show that's on the StarQuest Network called The Secrets of Technology, which Father Corey and I do with a great uh, list of other folks who join us and talk about technology from a particularly Catholic perspective. You want to check that out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. But today we're talking about this Doctor Who story, The Bells of St. John. And, Jimmy, could you give us a quick recap of this episode?
1: Early 21st century attractive London girl, like we haven't heard that before, (laughs) Clara Oswald, knows nothing about the Internet and is having trouble connecting, so she calls a helpline at a number given to her by a mysterious lady in a shop. The helpline is direct to the TARDIS, which is in the year 1207, where the doctor is moping and trying to figure out the mystery of Clara who he's seen die twice before. Responding to her phone call, he jumps back to the 21st century, only to find that Clara isn't keen to see him as he's acting like a madman. Soon, her mind is sucked out of her body and uploaded into a data cloud, but he uses his computer skills to get her downloaded (laughs) again. This leads to him uncovering a plot by a nameless organization that is being employed by the Great Intelligence to upload human minds so that the intelligence can feast on them or enjoy them in some unspecified way. The organization can also hack living people's minds and adjust them. Central to its plan are creepy walking robotic Wi-Fi servers that can look like anybody. Using new computer skills Clara got while being uploaded, she tracks the organization to its headquarters but gets uploaded again. This time, Clara is fully integrated into the data cloud, meaning she can't be individually downloaded again. The doctor then uploads and fully integrates the head of the nameless organization, so the only way to get her out of the cloud is to download everybody back into their bodies, if they still have one, including Clara. This happens, so Clara is saved, yay! Unit bursts in to capture the nameless organization, but the great intelligence has all of the organization's employees do a factory reset on themselves, so they lose all memory of working for him. The doctor then invites Clara to become a companion, determined to discover the mystery of who she is and why he's met her before, only to see her die twice. The end. The end. That was so leet about the computer skills.
0: The skills uh, with a Z. That's definitely a Z. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The uh yeah, so this is the the BBC was adamant that this was not a new season. and, and it's listed as a continuation of season seven, the series seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, going to the I, I saw read that uh, they went to the extreme of filing a season desist order against somebody who called it a new series. So they're very adamant this is the second half of the series season seven. But it's it's been like three it months. matters. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter. But it was uh, three months since the the Christmas special and then that in five months since Angels Take Manhattan and uh, so it and we have a new uh, Doctor outfit we have a new TARDIS control room I mean everything says this is a reset in a sense this is mm-hmm. a, apart from a new Doctor a new incarnation this is. Uh, Pretty yeah. much a, a big reset for the show. Well when
2: you went when you would buy the DVDs, you would have season seven part one, season seven part two. They actually until they released them as a complete package, yeah. could buy them as separate parts. So it, it was all in but in name a new season.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So uh and and this as you mentioned, Jimmy, this has the Great Intelligence. It has Richard Grant showing up as the Great Intelligence? He was in the Snowman mm-hmm. and it's sort of a sequel to the Snowmen. And I think it implies that the Great Intelligence is now this new big baddie that we're going to be seeing again and again. Except we once, <laughs>
1: we... Yeah. yeah.
0: When do we see the Great Intelligence after this?
1: Name of the Doctor.
0: Oh, right, 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 right. That's right.
1: Be- he's at the beginning and end of this second half of a season.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, yeah, now that we've watched the, uh, the, the Yeti episode with the second Doctor, uh, the Abominable Snowman. The first uh, of the two. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that was So that was the Doctor's technically now second encounter and most recent prior to this episode.
1: No. Encounter, right? No, the, most recent occurs in the 1960s oh, in the London Underground.
0: That's right. That's right. That's, we've, we met, you mentioned that before. I haven't seen that one yet. So, um, this is... It's coming soon,
2: but we're we're still got a little ways to go before we get to that one.
0: Okay. So, I guess they were setting up the Great Intelligence to be... To like be another...
1: the big baddie that's going to corrupt his timeline so Clara can jump into it and fix it.
0: Okay. All right. That's what that was. Okay. So, and then once that's done, we're done with the Great Intelligence, apparently. Yeah. Unless, they, unless they bring it back, because they can always do that. That's what they do. Um, so... Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the other thing that I wanted to mention as we start was um, you mentioned that Clara gets a gets the doctor's number from a woman in the shop who says he's the best helpline available, best helpline in the universe. And we'll eventually find out long in the future. This was a long setup. Yeah, that it's Missy Missy. Yeah, it's, we find out the, the season finale of season eight. That Missy's the one who's who gave her the number here. Uh, that was in uh, Death in Heaven. So uh, mm-hmm. very interesting.
1: And I can just imagine Missy uh, in you know playing a hairy shop worker, you know, with Clara knowing nothing about the internet. There, going, oh yeah, call this number. It's it's the best helpline there is. And, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> Missy's the best. <laughs> so. And as you said, uh, Clara is completely clueless at as we begin the episode about anything having yeah. to do with computers, and the internet. Uh, she's living with a family as a sort of um, unpaid
1: uh, friend uh, of the family, caretaker for the kids. Right, yep. because the mom the mo- died. The yeah. mom died. Yeah,
0: yeah. And <laughs> she's talking to one of the girls like, "When you get off the internet, l- uh, let me know. I need to get on." And and the and the girl's like, "That's not how Wi-Fi works." <laughs> Which, yeah. <you> know? <laughs>
2: Eight. That is Those how old su- telephone lines yeah. worked. That's All right. Was to say if you remember old, if you remember old dial-up, that's exactly how it worked.
0: Ugh. Yeah, I remember that. Like I'm on the computer. Don't pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no! You've ruined my AOL session. <laughs> so, um, it this this episode felt very 2013 in a sense of that's the way it, the technology took center stage in mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, the well, yeah, wi- Wi-Fi
2: was uh, for most people a very new technology at this point, you know, and the, the computers and everything, you know, very much uh, looked like 2013 computers and, you know,
1: very dated.
0: Right. Oh,
1: and I, I, yeah, that was when there was a fad for netbooks. Yes. Yep. And, and <laughs> so Clara has a netbook and a netbook for people who may not be aware is a kind of small stripped down laptop. Yep that is designed to connect to the internet and not do much else. So very low power machines. And there's no way they could take the typing speed that we no. see the doctor and Clara doing on
0: them. No TV hackers. Like it, it, it is just, just the way you see people type, it always cracks me up watching them. Like just like, they're just smashing keys. Like it's just smashing it, keys. It's so funny.
2: And having done programming and network security, that's <laughs> not what it looks like that's actually <laughs> that's, nothing what it looks like there's no such thing as a code fight people are literally <laughs> fighting with each other on keyboards back and forth it just doesn't work that way sorry
0: yeah if you want to see a, a tv show that really kn- understands computers and does it really well watch mr robot which is now available on netflix by the way uh, oh. it, uh it, it it's if you it, from the you, computer you, science you, perspective you, it's awesome yeah. Well,
1: I know on Mr. Robot, they make the effort to have all the hacking be actually possible. Right. I mm-hmm. still think they dramatize it, though. You know, of it's course. like they have people typing faster and not making it the number of mistakes they'd really make while typing. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's true. So the title. By, the, by, oh, by the way,
1: notice that this is Stephen Moffat doing a common Stephen Moffat thing in this episode in terms of finding the monster, which is taking something from normal life. And trying to make it scary. Right. So that explains the Weeping Angels. It explains the Hush episode. It explains, here we're making Wi-Fi scary. We've had, you know, this is a regular thing (laughs) these days. Find some aspect of modern life and then make it scary.
0: Yeah. I mean, that whole opening sequence, that teaser of the guy, the voiceover warning of danger and... Uh, showing images of people using their computers in different places, and then clicking people. This is re- a real warning: don't click on unknown Wi-Fi hotspots. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> and, especially and, in a
2: language you don't understand.
0: Yeah, you're not going to get uploaded into the internet, but you could probably get your system hacked and vi- or a virus or something. So don't do that. But <laughs> but uh, so, and if it's in Arabic, don't do that either. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. the, the Arabish is the uh, alphabet from Star Wars, which it looked a lot like. Uh, yeah. But in any in any case, it was an interesting opening sequence where it is that you know the the banal, the normal it becomes very sinister very quickly. Uh, you know, with, mm-hmm. if you click on it, you will die within 24 hours. So it, it was. I thought that was, it was kind a of lot
1: interesting. like. Uh, yeah, it was kind of like the Ring in that respect. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, if you yeah. watch this video, you will die in 24 hours. It's very or sinister. Or old
1: if you want to go old school like The King in Yellow.
0: Hmm. Oh, yes, <laughs> which is a a book that was said to make you insane. It was it? a
1: it was well, no, it was a so it's a it is a real book of short stories that all feature a play called The King in Yellow that we hmm. get little snippets of, but if you read the complete King in Yellow, which does not exist, it curses you in some way, and some some horrible thing will happen to you if you've, mm-hmm. if you've actually read the King in
0: Yellow. I I read a book, an alt history book by Stephen Sterling that mm-hmm. incorporated that into the story and made it real mm-hmm. uh, in a way. It was it was fascinating. It was kind of really creepy too. I, I prefer
2: uh, the Monty Python the joke that that the killer joke. Mm-hmm.
1: The that
2: what, was that. There was this kid in Monty Python where there was a joke that was so funny, you would die after reading it. Oh, you would die laughing. Yeah. And so they weaponized it during World War II. <laughs> right. So they yeah. broadcast it to the Germans. And you're, 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 you know each soldier would have a little bit of the joke, and they would broadcast the whole joke, but none, none of them had the whole joke.
1: hell, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so,
0: oh, that's good. So, uh, one,
1: one, one scientist heard two syllables of the joke and spent several weeks in hospital.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> humor is an emergent property, though.
0: Y- yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So, I wanted to talk yeah. a little bit about the title of the episode, "The Bells of St. John," because it has a couple of meanings. Sure. So, so a monk shows up at the doctor at the monastery uh, where the doctor is hiding out in 1207 in Cumbria, uh, saying the bells of St. John are ringing. And what it what it turns out that the phone in the police box uh, that is the TARDIS. There's a, like a phone door on the front that is, the doctor says, never, it's not supposed to work, but apparently does. Um, and the, there's the sign on the front of the police box, of this version of the police box anyways, of the, of the TARDIS, that says St. Mm-hmm. John Ambulance. So these are the bells of St. John, the, of right. the so, so the parent. But there's also a, a nursery rhyme called Oranges and Lemons, which I used to uh, recite to my kids. Uh, oranges and lemons say the bells of St. Clemens. Pokers you and tongs owe... say the bells of St. John's.
1: Oh, I haven't heard. Okay, so that version of Oranges and Lemons I'm not familiar with. Yeah. There's another version where it's Oranges, oranges and Lemons say the bells of St. Clemens. You owe me five farthings say the bells of St. Martins. Right. And then it continues on, but St. John is not mentioned.
0: It's, there's, there are a couple versions, and one mm-hmm. of the versions includes the bells of St. John. Well, since
1: it's a folk rhyme, versions are to be expected, I guess.
0: Right. And uh, they end with, the alternate version ends with, here comes a candle to light you to bed, and here comes a chopper to chop off your head, because that's how Victorian nursery rhymes go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My kids actually were talking about that last night, nursery rhymes. They're very creepy. Uh, And
1: by chopper, they mean axe. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. and and it it's theorized it was part of a kids game where the arms like they hold hands and as the kids process through the last one through the chopper chops them you know they they lower their mm. arms and they trap them in it, uh, but anyway that's that would have been familiar to to a British audience especially the oranges and lemons so the I mean as soon as I heard the bells of St John I start reciting it in my head like the bells of mm. you know the oranges and lemons <laughs> um, so it it's a uh, it would have been familiar in that case as well so I just thought that was an interesting little connection. Yeah. And Oranges and Lemons does come up in Doctor Who in a couple places, but probably not related to, to this.
1: It, it comes up other places, too. It's in 1984 by George Orwell, for example.
0: Yes. That's right. That's right.
1: You know, the references to the Bells of St. Clemens, the Bells of St. John's, the Bells of St. Martin's, these are all churches in the London mm-hmm. area.
0: Yeah. And, and, and so and, they and,
1: would be incorporated into nursery rhymes in the
0: area. That's right. Right. Yeah, people have gone through and they've tried to identify which particular church would have fit, which, you know, which which St. John's and which St. Clement's and that sort of stuff. Um uh, one thing about this story is it has a very close resonance to the 10th Doctor story Idiot's Lantern, which is about mm-hmm. people being trapped into the new technology of the time, being sucked up into it by an alien intelligence, an alien disembodied intelligence that wants to Feed that off was them. the TV lady. Feed yep. me, right? And uh, Magpie Electronics, uh, uh-huh. which I, I I thought they missed a beat when they didn't have the the organization be called Magpie. I just you know, Th- this
1: also has a striking similarity to the Twelfth Doctor story arc where Missy is uploading people into the mm. into a simulated cloud based afterlife. Yeah, right.
0: They keep and- yeah they kept going to this idea like. TVs, like you said, TV is a uh, is a ubiquitous, you know, everyday occurrence, and making it sinister and that sort of stuff. And I I think people feel like technology is a, ubiquitous enough, but other enough for most people that it it's it's sort of I I'm not sure how it works, so it makes me worry about it, even though it's all around me here. You know, well, that, and it, sort it, of it also
2: plays into the concept of, you know, TV sucking you in, you know, we, we talk about, Oh, I was so sucked in by that show. I just, I had to keep binge watching it or, you yeah. know, I'm so sucked. In, you know, I spent, so I had such a time suck. The internet such a time suck for me. You know, it's constantly right. just, you know, it's, it's that same kind of mindset of, you know, you get so focused on it that you mm-hmm. kind of lose sense of what's around you. Well, in the case of this story, you literally do yeah. lose, you get sucked into it and lose sense of what's around you. I you mean, don't even- know where you are because you're trapped.
0: Right, right, even back to Tron in the early '80s, which was about a guy who plays video games and gets sucked into a computer world, you know that sort of yep. thing. this has been a a, 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 con- trope. a constant trope in yeah in, 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 in entertainment ever since then that they kept going back to. so it's, it's interesting that they, that this is so similar to that story that they, they went back to it.
1: There are even dramaturgical parallels where people get sucked into a play.
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah.
1: like in uh the real inspector hound
0: Mm. right right so over i mean one of the things i I was thinking about this this episode is is i like it but i felt like they needed to spend so much time working the relationship between clara and the doctor that they Mm -hmm. didn't spend enough time on the whole danger plot bad guy situation Mm -hmm. or as much time as i thought it could have could have used what do you all think
1: well I, the fact we didn't get a name for the mm-hmm. organization itself is a sign mm-hmm. that they were going light on what we know about this group and it was i mean this is it fundamentally this episode introduces the doctor to clara as a companion so we need the two of them spending a lot of time together and bonding and having experiences and being under threat and we get all of that but then we have very little idea what this organization is actually doing. We know it's uploading minds for the great intelligence and he needs them for reasons, (laughs) but we don't know what those reasons are or who these people are or how they are keeping all of this quiet. When people suddenly keel over after connecting to their Wi-Fi network, they, they kind of
2: hint at it at the end, what it's doing. And basically it, I can't remember the exact, the way it phrased it, but basically it's, it's learning off of these people. It's it's feeding off of their knowledge, their experiences and everything. And so it's learning off them, but it was, it's just like a one line that was just kind of a quick hint of you were I've, I've grown enough from these people anyway, you know, right at the end before he, before he has uh, the, the head of this organization do her uh, factory reset. But basically I I've gotten what I've needed out of this. We're good now, you know, we're done now.
0: Right. I feasted on many minds, I have grown, but now it's time for you to reduce, he says to Miss yeah. yeah.
2: So it was just that one line just kinda hints at the, the whole purpose of it was was for the great intelligence to expand its intelligence. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: There's another hint at feeding involved earlier on when uh she says that he needs free range human minds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It makes yep. it sound like humans like cattle, that sort of thing.
2: Well she they actually use that analogy.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um so, a couple of interesting little tidbits. Uh, we find out that the, the the family that Clara is living with is called the Maitlands. Their their Wi-Fi password is R Y C B A R one two three, which stands for "Run you clever boy" and "Remember," which the Doctor mm-hmm. hears her say is, and that's what uh, Oswin said to him. Uh, and the three one two three, she's the third Clara that he's encountered. Yeah. yeah. Um, when when she's sucked into the uh, the cloud. She's downloaded into the cloud or uploaded, whichever word they choose uploaded. at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the people ask, "Where am I?" Which is the question that Oswin Oswald asks when she realizes she's a Dalek in Asylum of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also chooses Oswin as a username when she's logging into something.
1: Which is a portmanteau of Oswald for the win.
0: Right. Yep. And all these th- all these different things the Doctor keeps like she says these things and the Doctor kind of. Stops him in his tracks because he recognizes all of these connections and he's trying to figure out what's going on here with with this with this really strange girl. So uh, he uh, they're laying all these seeds for us to pick up later on when she becomes the impossible girl traveling through his time. Another little tidbit is that Clara has a book that she gets called uh, Summer Falls by Amelia Williams, which is mm. Amy Pond, right? That's right. So yep.
1: this is a children's book written by Amy Pond.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that I like that. That was a. Uh, and you little... can
1: buy this book.
0: Oh, they, they created a book after mm-hmm. the fact.
1: Oh, well, or in conjunction with, or something like that. And basically, if I understand correctly, it's like three novellas, one mm-hmm. of which is Summer Falls, but that's the cover story, and it's got, uh, uh it's it's got the same cover that we see in the show.
0: Okay.
2: Well and there's it, it, there's a great line there where uh the daughter's reading this and uh the says well, what chapter are you on? Chapter ten. Oh, chapter eleven, you'll love it. And of course yes. reference You'll to cry 11. your eyes out. You'll cry yeah. your eyes out. That's right.
0: Chapter eleven's the best. Eleven's the best, she says. Yeah. <laughs> referring a he subtle reference to the to the eleventh doctor. Yeah. Um it is interesting that in this story that, the the doctor is finally able to save a Clara. That, I mean, that's really a big yep. part of this. Is he and he's willing to sacrifice people? Like when that doubt, like you mentioned, Jimmy, in the in your recap, when when they make the the force, when he forces them to download all of the people that they've uploaded, a lot of those bodies are people's bodies are gone for whatever. Uh, and I hope none of them have been. In in fact, buried. the
1: great ma- the great majority of them.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so they're going to die when they're downloaded. I mean, that's a, ethically, they kind of glide right over that. Well,
1: the doctor, the the doctor justifies that on the grounds of it's better to die than to be trapped in this living hell of constant, I don't know where I am. I don't know where
0: I am. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, he does bring that up. Um, But, it's,
1: by the way, it's pretty scary the first time that happens to Clara and Mm -hmm. he comes in, he breaks into her house and finds her body there on the ground dead Mm -hmm. and out of the machine is coming her voice, and she's just panicking. I
0: don't know where I am.
1: And that's actually pretty creepy.
0: It is. It is. Well,
2: especially since it's coming from a little girl with no back to her head.
0: Spoonheads. I thought they were Cardassians. Different kind (laughs) of spoonhead. They have spoons (laughs) on
1: the front, not the back. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, There is this... Doctor Who managed to have this casual... like, a little bit of horror in it, in the... And when mass amounts of people die, sort of in the background of these stories, yeah. and we, you know, it's, but it's not treated as upfront as how bad this is. But it's, you know, many people have been killed by this organization, but we kind of glide. Uh, that's like, I guess what I was going to say is that we kind of glide past that. Um, you know, we acknowledge a lot of people have been killed, but we're moving on. You know, just like with the, when the Cybermen take over, you know, in London and all that sort of stuff, it's like the, you have this this horror element that's there in the background, and it's kind of interesting. It's one of the reasons why my little kids don't watch Doctor Who yet, because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't think they would handle that well. That that they would be particularly sensitive to. But what about all those people? That would be yeah. hard for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that's something you, you you see a lot where it's that's the nameless, faceless people. It's the people that are just they're the background cast, you know, the main cast, we got to make sure they stay alive. You know, Claire's got to stay alive, but all these yeah. other people, yeah, whatever.
1: They're, they're <laughs> cannon fodder. Like, like in that Power of 3 episode we watched recently where it's like a third of the human race dies and mm-hmm. yes, and then they bring them back in <laughs> implausible ways.
0: Yes. Yep. But yeah, it it's interesting that I mean, it's TV, that's what they do, but yeah, it's it's They hard could to... do it better. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um at one point, the doctor uh, once he's got Clara um, downloaded, re-downloaded again for the first time, and he's put her in a room, and he's set some flowers for her, and given her some jammy Dodgers, and uh, which is his favorite cookie, and opens up a a, a book she has on the shelf, "A Hundred One Places to See," which is kind of his clue that she should come along with him. You know, she should be a new companion. Mm-hmm. she should be suitable for that. And there's stuff inside, including a leaf. Doesn't. Isn't there the leaf something about will, the leaf will become important. Yeah. Okay, that's it- what I thought. That's what I thought. I ha- I didn't go back and dig dig through to find out where the leaf is, but there was some stuff in there that will become important later. One of the things I wanted to mention is just Clara as companion in relationship to the doctor and how she bits and they've written her in such a way that she's much less
1: Dependent,
0: dependent, and being dragged along by the doctor, she's kind mm-hmm. of stands up to him and kind of knocks him off balance a bit. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, I,
1: I I have in my notes er, from early in the episode that it's interesting to see the doctor pursuing a resistant companion mm-hmm. because initially she's not giving him the time of day. Uh, he's acting like a madman, and she's writing him off and not you know she closes the door on him, and he's calling out to her but she's not paying attention to him. And it is right. it is an interesting dynamic we don't normally see. Uh, we sometimes see a little bit of hesitance on the part of companions, like when Rose first met the Ninth Doctor, but then it, they, they end up becoming very dependent on the Doctor the way Rose did. And Clara doesn't. She, mm-hmm. even at the end of the episode, when he gives her the companion invitation, um, she's like, Come back and ask me tomorrow, and why? Because mm-hmm. tomorrow I might say yes, mm-hmm. and and he's like, y- you understand? I am just going to push this button, and it'll be tomorrow for me. And she's like, yeah, I don't care. Ask me tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she feels a lot like some of the uh, companions from, like, say the like, what was it, Ramana or not mm-hmm. Tegan? Who is the one? Nissa. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Nissa. Didn't, is, has a completely different personality from Clara, but she's got more agency mm-hmm, with the right. Doctor.
1: Like and more, Zoe she, is like that, too. But Clara um, is more like, I'm not going to live on the TARDIS full-time, which is, that's right. new. Yep. All of the previous companions have ended up living on the TARDIS full-time. And Clara sets boundaries in a way that most companions previously have not. But there have been companions like, Zoe and Leela and Romana who had more agency and mm-hmm. would stand up to the doctor more. Zoe would even compete with him at times mm-hmm. about who's the better scientist.
0: Mm, interesting.
2: <laughs> it is kind of funny that there's a stereotype, especially classic Who companions, the women being, you know, the the screamers. And of course there's one or two that they'd sit there and, you know, every erita- time who was who's the one that she actually was known because of her the Mel? S- Mel Mel's when she could do the pitch, she could actually scream at pitch.
1: Yeah, <laughs> please please scream at F sharp so it'll match the outro music. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a couple couple others
2: where that's what they're known for. It's like on a drop of the hat they would screech. Yeah, just like that. That's not what most of the women companions in the history of Doctor Who were like. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of
1: them that they were more dependent on the Doctor, uh, but there a lot of them aren't. I think that's in particular something. The dependence on the doctor is something that, especially emotional dependence, is something that really has been something in New Who. Yeah, Mm. in Classic Who, they were not as they were not emotionally dependent on the doctor. Yeah, not emotionally at least. Ace certainly was not, and (laughs) neither was Joe Grant. I mean, she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm a professional escapologist, and I'm going to
0: do what I want
1: regardless of what you tell me.
0: Right. Mm Uh, Sarah Jane is another one who's very independent. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, the, the, it's interesting how the stereotypes arise, but they don't really fit the, the data. The, yeah. The, oh, and
1: going all the way back, Barbara. I mean, yeah. She yeah. was not emotionally dependent on the doctor. Yeah. yeah. Susan, Susan Susan was, was yeah. but Susan's his granddaughter, so there's a mm-hmm. justifiable on in-universe reason for that.
0: And Vicky kind of was too, I think, right? So far, anyway, as I've seen, I feel like she's- She's yeah. not quite Barbara, but she's not quite Susan because she's not his granddaughter. But yeah. she seems more dependent on him.
1: Well, she he's she's an orphan, and he's the only person she's got right now. Exactly,
0: exactly. Um, yeah. The other thing that was interesting to me that I was talking with Father Corey is we were getting just before we got started was it, Clara always seems to me like oh she's an eleventh Doctor companion who kind of held over a little bit with the twelfth Doctor, but she's only with the 11th doctor for half a season and she's with the 12th doctor for, for two multiple. whole seasons mm-hmm. yeah so i thought that was an interesting how i don't know if that's if that if that's true for you guys but for me it, she always seems like she's an 11th doctor companion she's much more connected with him and we've talked about that in the, in the past about how the you know grumpy 12th doctor shows up and she her relationship with him is much different she's the one who's off balance at that point
2: Well, and they they start her off as, you know, with, with, again, this the Doctor is my boyfriend. That comes up very quickly in this season. But then, you know, um, when the Twelfth Doctor comes in, that that changes immediately.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that becomes much more of a companion and not, yeah, emotional relationship in that case. Um, interesting. So, uh, one of the I, I did want to point out another technology thing that I thought was fun because when you whenever you talk about technology in in shows like this, they be, especially internet technology, it does become dated. There's at one point where Clara, the hacker the, with skills, is able to find out where the enemy is. They're in the, the Shard, which is a, a, a famous mm-hmm. skyscraper in London, uh, because all the po- workers there post where they work on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus. <laughs> Foursquare. Yeah, remember remember
1: <laughs> Google Plus.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was funny. It's 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 funny how quickly things become very set in a time that you know because of the technology, which is the danger, I guess, of of doing tech based episodes of of stories like this. So uh, I thought that was fun.
1: I thought it was fun. There were a number of fun little things in the dialogue, which you would expect from Stephen Moffat, like when at the beginning of the episode. When Clara's calling the doctor on the TARDIS phone, they realize it's different times of day for them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he says, oh, am I, she says, oh, am I calling a different time zone? And is, he's like, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> because he's in 1207. Yeah. Then when he shows up, she says, how did you get here? And he says, well, I was just in the neighborhood. How are you talking to me? On my mobile phone. And he gestures back to the TARDIS. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and he says it's a surprisingly accurate description, (laughs) which of course it is.
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) I also like a bit where after you know she's had a sleep after being re-downloaded and letting her her mind reintegrate or whatever, and he's been keeping himself busy during that time, and she's talking to him after she wakes up about what were you doing while I was asleep. And he says, "Oh, I did this and that, and I found a, dis- a disassembled quadricycle in the garage, so I put it back together." And she's like, "I don't think you did." And he 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 says to himself, "I invented the quadricycle," <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I can, I can only imagine that he like went into the garage and found a couple of bicycles and said, <laughs> "Oh, a disassembled quadricycle! I need to put these together." <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: There's a there's a fun line at one point where the the doctor is trying to describe to Clara what's going on with the, the 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 Wi-Fi, and he says, you know, suppose there was something living in the Wi-Fi, harvesting human minds, extracting them. Imagine that human souls trapped like flies in the World Wide Web, stuck forever, yeah. crying out for help. And she says, isn't that basically Twitter? Yeah. yeah <laughs> in exactly. 2021, that's even more true. <laughs> I thought that was a. That was a pretty good line. But there was also, he saw that as the evidence for, wait, di- didn't you not know anything about computers before? And so something mm-hmm. was added to her brain when she was uploaded.
2: Well, and that's, that's one thing that's kind of a co- recurring theme in this is the idea that that people's brains can be hacked. And they even use that phrase, you know, did you hack my brain? Right. But that, you know, she could tweak people's reactions like, oh, she wants this her second in command to be more paranoid, so she makes them more paranoid and less trusting and it's right. IQ, higher IQ, and things like that.
0: If only you could do that. You could just push a slider and you know, make yourself smarter. <laughs> that sort of thing.
1: I, I did think the idea of then doing a factory reset was very clever. If you've established mm-hmm. you can just manipulate people like using settings on an iPad, then yeah. there's going to be a factory reset to undo all mm-hmm. those settings tweaks you did. Right. What what's a little unbelievable though is when they reset like so it turns out her second in command is a plumber or something. Right. Yeah. And the third in command guy also is doesn't really know what why he's there. What's least plausible and those are fine, but what's least plausible is the lady in charge Mrs. Kislet which I assume is meant to resonate with the name Quisling the oh, famous Nor- Norwegian traitor in World War II, or perceived as a traitor uh, in some quarters. But uh, but she resets as a little girl, and, and that would imply she's been in the— sur- who doesn't know where her mummy and daddy are. And that would imply that she's been in the service of the great intelligence for so long that she was a little girl when she first entered his service, and that would have been given— She looks like she's in her 60s or 70s. And if she's a little girl, that's like 50 or 60 years. Yeah. And I don't know that we had computers at the time that she, I mean, what would she have been working with all this time in his service?
0: Well, but that goes back to the snowmen where Dr. Simeon was uh, affected, possessed, taken control of or whatever by the great intelligence in the victorian era so i mean apparently the great intelligence doesn't need a computer right right but if she's but that's what he has these
1: people doing is uploading people into the wi-fi over computers and that can't have been happening for the last 60 years
0: but that's not necessarily the same thing as the factory resetting her right
1: well, the factory reset apparently the way it works is it reverts you to what you were right before you went into his service so like right. the the second in command was a plumber who had been summoned to to the shard to work on the plumbing and then he apparently got co opted into the great intelligence's service
0: mm-hmm. right, but the thing I was thinking was that um that those may be two different things the the resetting and all that sort of stuff may be different from the uploading. But but you know in either case I'm not sure they I'm not sure Moffat thought that much of through Wait, well the that's the my point is <laughs> yeah. it
1: this it's it's an interesting dramatic moment to suddenly have the evil lady be a little girl yeah in- mm-hmm. mentally but it doesn't really fit is my point
0: that's true that's true
1: I also like like when the doctor so at one point uh, the doctor and Clara are have been have come together, and she's not yet his companion. He invites her into the TARDIS because—this is about midway through the episode— because lights are going out all over London, but they're coming on in their neighborhood, and the doctor realizes that the people are being hacked by the Wi-Fi servers. And then a plane with Wi-Fi mm. gets aimed at them. And he's trying to get Clara into the TARDIS, which she is skeptical of because she thinks it's very small and says, like, what is that, your snogging box? (laughs) Meaning meaning your kissing box, you go in there to kiss. And he finally gets her in and then jumps the TARDIS onto the plane to try to save Mm -hmm. everybody. But she has this cup of coffee or tea that she was right. drinking in that scene before, and all throughout the chaotic plane rescue scene, <laughs> she's got the cup of tea in her hand. Right. Yep. I like the presence of the cup of tea throughout this <laughs> dramatic sequence, and she just hangs on to it.
2: Yes. at one point, I think she even just kind of you know mindlessly takes a sip of it as you know the plane's getting ready to crash or something like that. <laughs>
0: right right. The idea that the, it's the plane's Wi-Fi that has to get hit. if you turn off the Wi-Fi. It'll save the plane. The planes have radios. (laughs) You know, if a computer is good to take over things, it'll take over things through the radios. But, you know, whatever. It's the technology. So any other uh, things about this episode? Any other notes you want to bring up, Father Corey? So just,
2: you know, real quick, you mentioned briefly the Shard. And, of course, this is the BBC doing yet another. Look at these great things we have in London. The Shard (laughs) was a brand new skyscraper at that time. It was actually just opened a year before this episode aired. So okay. of course, you know, they wanted to feature something that was brand new and have the doctor riding his anti-grav motorcycle. <laughs> triumph got to feature a feature British brand. Yep. Uh up the up the the skyscraper.
0: That's true. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I like the I like where he says to the guy who'd been taken over by the Wi-Fi. Uh did you miss the part where I said anti-grav Olympics? Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and and then there's another thing where the, it, there's there's points where they're showing that the doctor and Clara is being followed by through pictures and of course this is the you know concern that we still people still are worried about today about being able to be tracked through things like closed circuit tv through pictures through pictures, videos yeah. upload their videos or pictures and so on and so that was a you know a, an emerging concern at that point that this show came out as well is how can we be be tracked when these pictures you know they do post what the gps location is within the picture itself right, right. within the metadata of the picture so that's still a concern that people have today is that you know being able to be tracked through stuff like, again, like I said, you know, the, the security cameras and stuff like that, that are much more widely available today than they, than they even were in
1: 2013. And particularly in London, which is often depicted as being unusually security intrusive mm-hmm. with security cameras. Yeah. Right. In fact, uh, very Mrs., much so.
0: Mrs. Kislet actually brings that up at one point. I love what uh, she says. Uh, I, I love uh, how all the cameras in London or something like that. It's very helpful. Yep. Jimmy, any final notes?
1: We have a little bit of interesting Stephen Moffat world building retconning. Uh, You know, we've noticed in previous episodes that the doctor frequently lands the TARDIS away from where he wants to go. And, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. why is that? Well, this episode we get an explanation because the doctor lands the TARDIS on the next day to confront the evil people who don't have a name. (laughs) And he then takes a motorbike. To go confront them. And Clara is like, why didn't you just land the the TARDIS closer to them? And he says, because it's the most powerful ship in the universe, and I don't take it into battle because I don't want it falling into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a little retcon for us of all those cases where the Doctor could have landed closer and didn't for no reason other than to generate drama. Except when he does. Except (laughs) when he does, yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was cool where the doctor, so the doctor and Clara have gone to a restaurant on top of some other tall building in London, and a Spoonhead, that's one of the Wi-Fi servers, shows up and impersonates the doctor to Clara, and that's how she gets re-uploaded and fully integrated. Just add two words and you get to change the rules. (laughs) And then it's a nice reveal where the Doctor then gets on the bike and and goes to the Shard and drives up it. I was thinking it was going to be the Gherkin, which is another similar glass skyscraper Mm. in London, but it was the Shard this time. And he drives up the side and crashes into Miss Kislet's office, and uh, she's talking to him. And we have a really nice reveal where, despite the tension between the two of them, He's saying, you know, she's saying, like, I can't download her without downloading everybody. Why would I do that? And he says, because I'm going to motivate you in a minute. And she's like, how are you going to do that? You know, and, and she alludes to him having, I forget exactly how she sets it up, but she says something to the effect of, you know, you don't have the ability to motivate me. And he says, well, actually, I never left that restaurant. And he turns his head around. And he's sent the spoonhead, mm-hmm. and he then just uploads her and fully integrates her so that now the only way to get her out of the, out of the living hell is to download everybody, including Clara. But I like that twist, no pun intended, where, <laughs> where the doctor turns his head around and reveals it's not him. He never left the restaurant. This is a spoonhead he's hacked.
0: Right. Yep. That that was a good that was a good misdirection and reveal. They that I didn't see that coming either. Uh, yeah. Again, no we, pun intended. We
1: should we should mention they're <laughs> called spoonheads because the back of their head is concave and metallic. Yep. Like this, like the interior surface of a spoon.
0: Right. Right. Yep, yeah. Exactly. One of the secondary characters refers to them as that at, at one point, and yeah, that that's that's how they got their name. All right. I think that should do it for this uh, this discussion of the bells of Saint John. Uh, so we'd, we'd love to hear your feedback on that. Uh, we'll give you the information in a second. But uh, the short form is doctor Who at sqpn.com. Uh, but we do have other feedback we wanted to give you today. And uh, this feedback comes from our recent episode 243, Minuet in Hell, featuring the Eighth Doctor. Mm-hmm. And that was a big finished story that Father Corey and I d- discussed while Jimmy was away. And uh, so our first feedback comes from Mark Romer on Facebook, and he says, I'm presuming Malabolgia is a reference to the Malabolge in Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. the the circle that was subdivided into nine ditches. I can't imagine anyone being able to convince a population that it's a good name for a new state, though. <laughs> Indeed,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, if it was like
0: a desert. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, Malabolgia is the eighth circle of hell in Dante's Inferno, and roughly translated, Malabolgia means evil ditches.
0: Evil mm. ditches. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture, like, uh, trying to convince people that that would be a great name for a state, especially in uh, a place with a, as in this story, you, there was a, a Christian televangelist trying to, trying to. Uh, become governor of this new place. It's a little bit on the nose, uh, revealing too much about yourself,
1: Mr. We do. We do have some interesting state names based on American Indian languages. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Kansas and Arkansas are both from mm-hmm. the same root. It means like people of the south wind. Mm-hmm. And Alabama, if I recall correctly, means I opened the thicket. <laughs> mm. So there are, there are some interesting names, but Italian is a little close, and people would figure it out and not want that
0: name. Mm. That's interesting. There are a lot of state names that are derived from Native American languages, oh, yeah. like Massachusetts, where I'm from, is, is definitely. Dakota. Yeah, Dakota, Minnesota, M- Mississippi. I, I'm not going to go through them all. Anyway. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and then our well, second- Virginia is not one of them. That is definitely yep. not one of them, nor Maryland. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so uh, Ted Coville on Facebook says, I'm glad that they consulted the Nicola Bryant Institute for Language and, D- and Dialect for this episode. <laughs> Father Cory and I talked about the, the American accents that uh, we, we got to hear. There was some uh, as one Pretty of the painful. Yes. The, uh, the foghorn leghorn version of uh, Southern accent and some of the others were quite interesting. <laughs> so thank you both for your feedback. Uh, That should do it for now. Uh, Before we finish, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Chris D., Adam B., Mark B., Nellie B., and Lynn Z. Not B. I thought you you probably thought I was going to say B there, but Lynn Z. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And, of course, we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Bells of St. John? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, The Enemy of the World. Yay, I like this one. Yes, it's a good one. (laughs) Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I can't tell the future. I just work there. Right. This is going to be fun.